With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Joining us, they got a new podcast that you can stream, download, subscribe to. We're talking about the technical intricacies of podcasting here before the show open tonight. Haughty by nature. Love the name, by the way. Not because we hate you. <laughs> Who well, we don't hate you, Walter. We do not. We love you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I really do. <laughs> Who came up with that name? Was it a group effort? It was a group effort. It was, yeah. yeah. About 100 text messages back and forth. <laughs> we we spent some time on it, yeah. Some yeah. really bad ones yeah. that we don't yeah. need to sure. repeat. Sure. Can, that'll be for a future podcast. Right, y'all, the, yeah. the, the outtakes of uh, potential podcast names. <laughs> Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app, Two Ways to Stream. This program, we're here 9 to 11 weeknights, live and local. Appreciate you tuning in. If you miss us for some unconceivable reason, you can just do a search in your iHeartRadio app for Closing Argument, and our past shows will pop right up. we got a channel there in the app that you can go to, 651-989-5855. If you want to join our little brouhaha tonight as we discuss a variety of topics, but we're going to start off with the topic du jour that has been dominating attention in the media and on social media throughout the week, and that is, of course, the ongoing controversy involving NFL players taking the knee in order to protest uh, a variety. Of, it seems like a continually expanding circle of things that are being protested. It started off as something very specific, which was police brutality, and which is also you know, obviously attached to the broader criminal justice system itself but it seems as though now you know we talked we had an article from Huffington Post that we talked about last night where the headline was something to the effect of white NFL players who stood beside their kneeling black teammates were standing for white supremacy so now apparently we're at the point where uh, in, in order to not be a white supremacist you have to kneel during the national anthem it's it's odd how the goalposts, figuratively, nice. keep getting moved further and further in terms of what it is we're actually talking about. Uh, you guys have this new podcast, which I I must confess I haven't had the opportunity to take a look at yet. I'm looking mm. forward to it because I, I know both you guys. I know you guys are deep thinkers, libertarian thinkers, and your perspective is much needed in the discourse here in Minnesota. And hopefully you'll get a national audience with the podcast as well. That's the beauty of, of the Internet and streaming. What's your take, and I know it's different than the one that I've been delivering here uh, tonight, on what's taking place and just the reactions that people are having and, and where we stand with the NFL. So, Walter, I, I saw your Facebook Live thing, uh, I think it was Monday night, on, on this topic, and it really, it, it, it was interesting. It irked me because you said they shouldn't protest not because you disagree with their, I think their ultimate goals or the the topic they're talking about, you know, criminal justice reform and police brutality and things that you, that we all, I think here share a lot of, you know, um, agreement with it was they, they shouldn't protest because it's disrespectful and it's, it's like a kid talking back to their parent. And that really bugged me because 
for a variety of reasons, but how can you subjectively say people should or should not protest peacefully, mind you, peacefully without inconveniencing anyone else? I even disagree with you on, you know, blocking highways for protests. The same thing. We've we've talked about that. But even this peaceful, very short doesn't inconvenience anyone, anybody. You said they shouldn't do that. I guess my question is, when should you protest if you do have any modicum of an argument against some systemic wrong? What better place than to use your public profile for the two minutes that you're on the field that very few people are watching you on TV until they put it on Fox News because you, you kneeled? What better place to just represent what you believe in than that? I mean, that is almost the easiest possible place. I can't say that, but a very easy place to protest compared to occupying Wall Street, blocking highways, doing other things that are arguably more violent. That's Carl Eggers, by the way, of uh, Haughty by Nature podcast. We've also got Brendan Peterson in studio with us. I'll start with where you left off, which is the evoking the the opportunity that players have given the spotlight, the platform that they've been offered. It's quite the presumption to assume that that's your spotlight and your platform to do with whatever you please. It doesn't exist. People aren't tuned into NFL games to hear your political opinion or to entertain your protests. And so you're imposing upon, and I guess it depends upon how the owner of the team feels or how the NFL right. feels, sure. yep. which is something that seems to be a moving target. But you're imposing upon them. You're commandeering the the purpose of the the various uh, sponsors and partners in the NFL franchise and, and imposing upon the fans something that they did not tune in for. So, you know, which goes to your first question, which is how, how do you say when you should or shouldn't engage in protest? And I think part of the in order to answer that question, you first have to identify what is the purpose of a protest and. I'm ready to entertain the fact that the purpose may be different for different people. Mm -hmm. To my mind, the only rational purpose for a protest is to actually affect change, to change people's minds and thereby create an environment wherein you can pursue changes in policy. And so in that context, you're you're obligated. You don't get to decide just through your intent whether or not your protest is effective or appropriate. You actually have to get the feedback. You have to listen to what people are saying in response to what you're doing. And the responsibility falls upon you to craft a method and a message that actually accomplishes what you're trying to accomplish. And so when I say you shouldn't protest in this manner in order to affect the change that they claim to be seeking, which I'm sure is genuine, I don't question their their intention, when, when I say that they shouldn't, I'm saying that it's not affecting the purpose that they claim to be pursuing. And it also to the to your to your point about um, the the appropriateness of being disrespectful or what have you, that as a matter of social decorum, which again is something that we all get to have a see a say on, right? Like there's there's nothing. It's interesting the kind of circular argument here, where on the one hand it's how dare you say that somebody can or cannot protest, but then fo- immediately following that. It's how how dare you, me, being me, right. say what you think about that protest. It's like if they can say what they want, then I can say what I want. Right. That's part of that's what and a discourse I is. I agree with that. Right. And so 
I'm judging, which they're, they're putting this out there to be judged. And so I'm judging it as inappropriate based upon my perception, which is shared by a great many people, that it is disrespectful to to our culture, to our nation, to our flag and what it represents. Brandon, you have a different view, slightly. Sure. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, obviously. Um, so the first question is, you know, what's your, you know, what is your individual take on the matter? I mean, my personal preference or or what I would do in that exact situation is I would stand with my hand over my heart and I would I that that's what I would do because that's what uh, that's what I feel like is the right thing to do and that's in line most with what I believe um, because of the fact that I view the the anthem and the presentation of the flag as a more of a uh, uh, something that brings community together community you know the nation in general it's um something that i have reverence for you know my neighbors and the folks that share this this place with me and also for the ideals not necessarily the current government all the time but the ideals to which we we espouse or 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 aspire to as as a nation however i will take issue with a number of of the things that you said walter i mean i think um a, I have absolutely um, no problem with people uh, using the venue to protest. Um, you pointed out the fact, especially, you know, in, in, in you mentioned circular arguments, and I'll bring up uh, maybe a counter uh, point uh, or pointing out a circular argument on the other hand, which is, you know, people don't watch the NFL to uh, hear your political opinion, or this is not a political venue. And I... You know, as somebody who who voted against the Viking Stadium and and for the folks, many of whom, the majority of whom I believe in the city of Minneapolis, who didn't have a choice but to participate in the political process by way of their public financing of the stadium, you know, <laughs> um, they 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 didn't have a choice to participate uh, in that process either. And so at its core, even the Pentagon itself um contributes millions of dollars every year the pentagon uh, the department of defense millions of dollars every year for quote-unquote patriotic displays uh patriotic displays excuse me at nfl games so they are inherently political um, there are political messages being put forward and the anthem itself uh is uh is a political um exercise um now whether or not that exercise is something that you deem to be good or worthy or is a political um, uh, exercise that that is noble is it isn't really my point my point is that um, it absolutely is and that goes back to the the earliest traditions of you know a, a sport really I mean um, when we think about uh, the Olympics um, you know if you want to go back thousands of years there's always been this intermingling intermingling of civilization the nation-state and sport, um, you look at you know Jesse Owens, you look at Jackie Robinson, you look at Muhammad Ali, you look at these examples throughout history, and these are integral um, moments and in, in pieces of our fabric as a as a country. And I think there's space, actually, and I think that's what's so dis unfortunate about uh, Mike Tomlin's decision in Pittsburgh to, to um, go after Villanueva, the offensive lineman who decided to, to that he wanted to stand outside and he wanted to respect the flag because for him as a as a veteran that meant something to him. 
I have I think there's room for both and I think we can actually say you know what I respect you you respect me and let's have a civil discourse and let's engage each other in a way that's productive I think and and just one more point about that about coming together rather than being divided does anybody here anybody listening really believe that Donald Trump didn't know what he was doing when he said that of course course. he did and so if if we're if we're granting that he knew right then what we're saying is we knew the president intentionally divided the country right and his advisors have said as much since then saying this this is unpopular he even refers to ratings in his tweet right so the president engaged in intentionally divisive activity and he got exactly what he asked for and i think what we could do and i think what would be great is if we all said you know what we're not taking the bait we're cool you can you can stand and i can sit and we can have this conversation and i don't think there's there's a need for demonization in general We'll take your calls when we return. Lenny, hold on. We'll get to you when we come back. That's Brendan Peterson. We've also got Carl Eggers. The two of them are on a new podcast, Haughty by Nature. Fantastic name for a podcast. My name's Walter Hudson. Closing argument, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Check out the on Well, if our conversation regarding NFL players kneeling during the national anthem demonstrates anything, particularly taking place as it does between yours truly and our in-studio guests tonight, Carl Eggers and Brandon Peterson, former state senator here in Minnesota, all of whom, all three of us identify as libertarians, what it demonstrates is that the principles of liberty are easy to assent to but not always easy to apply to real-world situations. And we have uh, some some various headlines that we're going to try to do that with here, and it'll be interesting to see if we have agreement or controversy. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights, 651-989-5855, if you want to get your word in edgewise, Brad Omlin taking those calls from the star tribune st louis mayor lida krusen and interim police chief lawrence o'toole on wednesday called for the u.s attorney's office to investigate allegations of police misconduct during protests that followed the acquittal of a white former police officer in the death of a black man Krusen and O'Toole said in a statement that the St. Louis Police Department's Internal Affairs Division and the Civilian Oversight Board will investigate the police response to protests over the past nearly two weeks, during which more than 200 people have been arrested across the region and nearly three dozen officers injured. But they said a third-party investigation is necessary because it is important that the public have confidence in the results of this process. Email messages seeking comment from the U.S. Attorney's Office in St. Louis were not immediately returned. The statement said police internal affairs have received a dozen complaints. The American Civil Liberties Union of Missouri has also filed a lawsuit accusing police of unnecessarily forceful arrests and rounding up innocent bystanders on September 17th when about 120 people were arrested following an unruly protest downtown. Now, Again, trying to apply these libertarian ideas that we often banty about, what wins out here? Police accountability or federalism? Like, does, is, is there any part of you that's a bit hesitant about the idea of bringing in the feds to investigate local policing matters? Either one of you? I think hesitant's a good word, but in St. Louis, with their history, mm-hmm. 
how how can you say that increased scrutiny over police actions, especially actions of, of police departments that have shown to be militant or worse, is a bad thing? I, I, I get the federalism argument, but I would have to weigh in on the more we can uncover police action and inaction and root causes of that, the better. Um, going back to the criminal justice uh, a topic, um, I don't think, but but the federalism, I don't even know holds water here because they're not superseding. They're any, being invited. They're being invited and right. say, we want your opinion on this topic, sure. right? They're not saying you rule instead of our state or local. But you're ruling. you're inviting the camel to stick its nose under the tent, so to speak. You're you're inviting a a higher level of government to bring its subjective values and standards, which could very easily supersede your own. Into the, now, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm just evoking the right. concern because I think it's an right. interesting concern. Honestly, I don't know which way wins out in my own consideration. Well, I mean, absolutely. Um, every every bit of the federal apparatus should be looked at with suspicion when getting involved in state matters. You know, of course, there's the issue, though, of cons- of constitutional liberties. Right. You know, if uh, everybody is guaranteed under the U.S. Constitution certain certain things, and and if a state a state does not have the right to abridge certain certain freedoms, and so if that's a case, certainly that that warrants um, involvement. Um, I've long been of the opinion, particularly when I uh, became aware of some of the issues with internal prosecutions of civil liberties um, issues when it comes to state policing, that attorneys general offices. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...across the country should all have an independent prosecutor that is solely focused on internal investigations type matters or policing matters. So that there is a, a an independent in state, so right. that eliminates the need for federal intervention. Someone whose job it is basically, because what we've also found is, of course, district attorneys who have to work with police departments yeah. in their own jurisdiction have a conflict of interest in holding them accountable, right? Because sure. they they rely on them to do their own job, and so um, and they have the, you know that sort of um, ancestral type relationship, and so. Yes. I mean, the answer is yes, there should be absolutely some suspicion. And 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 yeah, I mean, there's a lot of federal issues. I mean, we've talked a lot about you know militarization of the police over the, the last few years, although that's coming uh, that's died down with the new administration and, and sessions who are kind of 180 degrees different than the previous administration in that regard. So so there's a lot of issues there to talk about. But yeah, the short answer is yes, they should be suspicious, but we got to protect people's civil liberties, too. Going to the phones, let's talk to Joe in Minneapolis. Welcome to the program. You're on with Carl Eggers and Brendan Peterson. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Um, I wanted to refer, and I think this is one thing, I just never hear any real facts coming out. Um, There was an empirical study conducted by uh, Harvard professor Roland G. Fryer that just came out within the last year. He's the uh, youngest tenured African-American professor in the history of Harvard. He did a study in thousands of hours to... um, he wanted to help Black Lives Matter, but he wanted to give them statistical data. 
So he did this study, and he actually found out that blacks are not more likely to be shot at when you you know use of uh, lethal force. In fact, it, it's a, it was not even close. It's much more likely that a white person's going to get uh, the police officer's going to use that force. In fact, 20% less likely. Now, this is an empirical study. He spent thousands of hours. He's a really smart guy. He knows how to do a study. And I never hear anybody talking about it. There was another study out of Washington State. Basically came up with the same kind of numbers. He said it was this professor at Harvard, he says, not even close. And he was trying to help Black Lives Matter and give them some firepower, statistical, actual, factual data. Mm-hmm. And it came out the opposite way. But, he, you know, he, this is a guy that was knows what he's doing. So when you talk about facts, you know, forget Colin Kaepernick. He doesn't, you know, he's just... They're, you know, hands up, don't shoot, never happened. Over 40 witnesses came f- forward, most of them black, who said that, you know, that never happened. But still that narrative went through the media, and people are still, you know, on the Internet and listening to that and see, seeing that today. But I would like to know about your guest uh, addressing that study by that Harvard professor, Roland G. Fryer, Jr., I appreciate your call, Joe. It's hard to address the details of a study that you haven't read, and I'm guessing neither one of you has flipped through the pages of the particular study. I haven't either. I suspect, or or at least would not be surprised to learn, that that, that notion that white people are more uh, likely to be shot by police than blacks isn't accounting for the difference in population. In other words, there are more white people, so... Yeah, and and I haven't read. I saw the headline of that study. I haven't got into it either. Um, and for me personally, it's it's less about this topic is less about race. Not that that's not about race whatsoever. Sure, sure. But for me, it's less about race and differences and proportions and less likely, more likely to do that, and more about two things: one, the war on drugs, right, and how that adversely affects every aspect of our society, uh, economically, racially, uh, the, you know, in terms of the prison system, um, and pro- use of prosecution and and civil asset forfeiture, things like that. One, the war on drugs is the biggest culprit and to the militarization of police it's those two things that are we should be looking at further rather than well it's if you're white you're more likely to do x or black you're, that's not as important or useful to me than really analyzing why do police use lethal force what are they looking out for what are the what are the reasons that they are searching your car or why are they suspicious of you being a white black other person is probably because they think you're in possession of a substance more likely than not right um and, and that's a major problem with our criminal justice system more so than racial inequality which which may may exist carl eggers and brandon peterson in studio with us tonight from the haughty by nature podcast check it out on itunes closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 1130 103.5 fm Rush Limbaugh. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM. In studio with me tonight, Carl Eggers, Brendan Peterson, both of the podcast Haughty by Nature. Libertarian, I imagine, the, the content on uh, your guys' podcast. Tell us a little bit about the podcast. What is it that you guys, what's it formatted like? What do you typically talk about? Is it just reaction to the news or is it topical or what's the deal? It's all of the above. Um, we started it and uh, we want to, we had some really great conversations, myself, Brandon, and uh, Gary Miller. And we're and we thought we just want to do it for fun. Um, but Gary put it really well. It's, it's an interesting conversation you hear walking by a group in the, at a bar. 
of like, well, those guys are really talking about some some weird stuff or sure. some, you know, and we cover everything. Politics, sure, from Libertarian View, but we did haircuts. Yeah, so well. let's run through the the topics we discussed at the yeah. last, uh, the well, the last and the first episode. So number one is it's, it's a kind of a unique format. It's completely uncut. So like mm-hmm. everything, we hit record and just go for 60 right. minutes. There's no editing. And so we we discussed um, sort of the na- nature, a little bit of my personal political experience, where I was. Uh, we talked about hairlines. We talked about the Anunnaki and and oh, Nibiru, the uh, Nibiru, uh, the horned planet. Which the apocalypse didn't the happen. Apocalypse. Last week. Um, ah, we yes, talked about right. Bitcoin. Uh, we talked about football. Uh, tacos. Tacos. Football. I mean, we talked about you know, the NFC Central, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, we we cover everything. And uh, yeah, it's a great. I mean, it's, I, it's a great time, and I think you'll you'll enjoy it. It's 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 different, you know. Especially you know, you hear a lot of things you wouldn't hear on a typical uh, produced show because we don't cut anything, and we're haughty. And and the whole point is to be honest, and that's what podcasts can give us of right. like, hey, let's just be up front and have fun and right. talk like like our like friends we would at a bar and and not hold back within reason. And, and I think we've accomplished that in the first one, and we're excited about keep it going and just we're entertained by it. And uh, we and a lot of people have been so far as well, which is really cool to see. But we just want to have fun and and be be real, so to speak. Yeah, that's the key: is do what you enjoy, and if other people like it, that's just a bonus. Exactly. Haughty by nature, you can find it on iTunes. Let's go to the phones. Dan in East Bethel, thanks for holding and welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to say, are you guys familiar with the report of the Department of Justice that was reported by PragerU that I believe factored in? the percentage of each population and of like white, black, Asian, different things, and then talked about the likelihood of them to be shot by a police officer. I know it also said that a black officer was three times more likely to actually discharge his firearm in the line of duty than a white officer. And they, they went across the board in different areas. And so I'm just curious if you guys are familiar with that study at all. I'm just familiar enough with that one aspect of it that you mentioned, Dan. I appreciate you calling that being that black officers, and I believe it was specifically black officers, are more likely to discharge their weapon in encounters with black suspects than white officers are, and which kind of presents an interesting implication or, or questions as to what the motivations might be there, what sort of social dynamics might be in play. I don't know what I'm supposed to take away from that, mm-hmm. though. To your guys' point that you were talking about earlier, is the real issue, should we really be so focused on the racial component here, or are there broader issues that are more important to, to take up our attention? Well, right. I mean, I, th- I think for me the biggest issue is, okay, are we, are we, do we have a healthy suspicion of the state that we do when it comes to fiscal policy as, conser- as limited government advocates, at, you know, when it comes to speech? We should look at the police powers in the same with the same level of suspicion and say, are we protecting people's constitutional rights just like we are protecting their pocketbook, just like we're protecting their ability to live their lives according to their own values? All those things that we typically stand for in all these other areas, the police power is an awesome power. We should also be suspicious of that and make sure it's doled out in a just manner. Real quick before we go to the top of the hour break uh, from the Star Tribune, police officers physically removed a woman from a Southwest Airlines plane before it took off from Baltimore. The latest passenger scuffled to be captured on video and magnified on social media. You know, I got to think these incidents were probably happening before cell phones became so prolific and we just didn't know and didn't care. Especially in, in Bodymore. That stuff happens. Yeah. I've, I've seen the wire. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> 
After saying she was severely allergic to animals, this is the, the setup here. You couldn't, you couldn't write this. After saying she was severely allergic to animals, there were two dogs on board. The woman refused the crew's request to leave the plane. The crew then called the police to intervene. A film producer recorded the ensuing struggle between the woman and officers and posted it online. The scene from Tuesday night was reminiscent of an April incident in which security officers yanked a man out of his seat and dragged him off a United Air Express flight in Chicago. So more drama in the airways for you. More cops to look. If you don't want the cops to cops to drag people off planes, don't call them. That seems to be the object lesson here for the airlines. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. We'll continue with Carl Eggers and Brandon Peterson when we return. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Thanks for listening to... We had a primary runoff in Alabama last night. And it has been characterized as a major defeat for President Donald Trump. One of our in-studio guests has a different analysis for you tonight on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. 9 to 11 weeknights, we are live and local. Appreciate you tuning in. 651-989-5855, the number to join us if you feel so inclined. Brad Omlin taking those calls. Our guests in studio... Carl Eggers and Brandon Peterson of the podcast Haughty by Nature, which you can check out on iTunes Hmm. for your uh, libertarian flavored commentary on pretty much everything, culture, politics, Mm -hmm. haircuts, hairlines, what have you. Good stuff from the sound of it. I'm definitely going to check it out. You should, too. Brandon, you were you were speaking to in one of our during one of our breaks, the popular interpretation of what took place here in Alabama versus what's really going on. Can you give us uh, your, your hot take on that? Yeah, I mean, so obviously the main, mainstream media's take has been this is some sort of repudiation of Trump. Because And why? Of course, because Trump endorsed Luther Strange, right? right? So therefore, you know, ergo, it was a repudiation of Trump's endorsement. Trump is waning in influence and he's got soul searching to do or something like that. However, uh, a more uh, you know, aware understanding, if you're in tune with Breitbart News, the machinations of Steve Bannon and the like, and understand the popular economic nationalist movement in the United States right now, you'll understand exactly the opposite is true. Um, Breitbart has targeted Alabama for months, um, has propped up um Roy Moore and before that, Mo Brooks, um, before he dropped out and has targeted Luther Strange as Bannon's uh, sort of warning shot to D.C. to say those who don't support the economic nationalist agenda of the Trumpism versus Donald Trump. And I'm borrowing that from John Nolte, so I'll give Mm -hmm. credit where credit's due at Breitbart. Um, uh, It. It is a an absolute endorsement of the Trump campaign. Now, whether or not Trump, as a as a influenced by the swamp creatures that he's surrounded by and surrounded himself with, to much, to to a great extent, endorsed Luther Strange as an exercise of expediency doesn't mean at all that that movement is waning. In fact, they had a major victory in Alabama with Roy Moore, and um, absolutely will not affect Trump's influence and. Steve Bannon today is more influential than he's ever been, um, playing off of his Trump's victory, now winning the first major uh, in, intra-party battle um, in Alabama. 
and and that's that's the hot take. So I I can't articulate a counter argument to that. I'm not even going to try. I do find myself fascinated and riddled with questions, though, as a result of this, because it seems that the the emergent fact from that analysis is that there's a difference between allegiance to Trump and and Trump himself as a carrier of the message and the message that he was carrying. And that, in fact, there is some coherent Trumpism, as you cite, that is articulatable and transferable to other candidates that they can run on and a movement that's that's uh, surrounding that that is active and moving forward. What are some of the tenets of that movement? Because I'm not quite sure I could list them off at the top of my head. Well, absolutely. If you go back to the Trump campaign, it's everything that that he talked about. It's it's um, America first trade policy, what some people might call more protectionist policy. Sure. It's going to be uh, anti-hard, hawkish, anti-immigration positions. It's going to be um, uh, uh, a strong sort of nationalist bent. Um, um on on foreign policy and and probably um you know in the case of Roy Moore was probably more of a social conservative but right. but certainly all, all of those populist um messages that um and, and definitely if anything anti-establishment anti-DC and particularly anti-Mitch McConnell um these are people who are running campaigns not against Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, but actually running campaigns against Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan. And that is what won in Alabama, and that is what other candidates are going to do. You saw Senator Bob Corker in Tennessee that day announce that he's not running, who certainly would have been a target of this same um, uh, Bannon um, coalition, if you will. And that's what that's what you're going to see. And I think what it means for Donald Trump, if he can kind of... <laughs> have any degree of introspection is that the the movement is beyond Donald Trump right now in this country and and I think that Trump uh, you know Trump went to Alabama to campaign uh, to 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 rally for Luther Strange and they went through and half of that crowd said yeah we we really appreciate that Trump is is in, uh uh endorsing this guy but you know we, we support you know Roy Moore you know so going back to last year's campaign, Donald Trump's campaign, Trump doesn't strike me as a guy who's particularly ideological and who latches onto ideas because he's thought deeply about them. Did he kind of just sort of trip into a movement that was that was basically being born onto the world at that time? Or is it that the ideas that he articulated became something above and beyond his campaign and his person, in your view? Well, I'm, I mean, I think that uh, my my take is that a lifelong Democrat decided that the timing was right and had the right connections to the right people, Steve Bannon and those types, um, to uh, to to reform himself, recreate himself in the public eye, uh, who understood the hot button issues that he could uh, run on in a Republican primary and understood at this time of a great frustration, you know, coming off of you know, a lot of frustration around the Bush administration and and kind of a malaise during the Obama administration where nothing seemed to really change a whole lot. And in a in a middle America. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumba dot com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. America that, that feels like, you know, the, the, the country's moving in a direction that they no longer recognize. And it was a perfect storm of things. And yes, so, so Bannon and others, um, other strategists filled in the blanks, sure. you know, of, in Donald Trump, what Donald Trump c- cares about most, in my opinion, and I think what is you see in his comments over time is that Donald Trump cares first and foremost about the advancement of Donald Trump. Right. And if if you can convince and articulate a path forward to the presidency that includes whatever the things are that he he ought to say, then he'll say them. And, and oftentimes there are 180 degrees and things that he said 10 years prior. Yeah, that kind of tabla rasa uh, interpretation of Trump's approach seems to bear out with an analysis of his pattern of behavior. Uh, and Bannon has said as much in terms of you know who he surrounds himself with. He's a reflection of who he surrounds himself with. So now he's got people you know chatting in his ear saying, hey, you should endorse this strange guy. Hey, you should go this direction on policy. Hey, you should sit down with the Democrats and, and cut deals. And so that's what he's doing because that's what he's hearing which I, I don't know if I'm terrified by that or I, I don't know how to, how to feel about it. But. Well, if you believe Roger Stone at all, which is probably healthy to not believe Roger Stone and what he believes in entirely, but it's a very cynical look at, at executive power, right, and of electoral power. Um, you know, as a, as a Nixonian, it's a very uh, me first, I can do what I want, I can manipulate these people. I just have to push a sequence of buttons, right. like you said, um, and I can get power. And I think that's exactly what happened here, right? Like, if I just hit this button, I get this response from this crowd. Wow, they loved it. They love build the wall. Maybe I should hit that button again. Oh, right. what do you know? Right. I, you know, I'm president. <laughs> so I, I think it's a highly cynical thing where you do have, you surround yourself with the Bannons and with other people, and all of a sudden you get yourself up, and then that doesn't seem to be working anymore. You surround yourself with others, um, and you endorse Luther Strange. You you stop draining the swamp. and uh, You reverse your position on DACA. Which has been overwhelmingly right. negative right. in the media and yeah. and then the establishment class, the the well healed class. Um, you know, at the the rally, it sounded great, right? Mm-hmm. But now that he's in it in in front of a different audience, over time, they've all of a sudden you see these positions again, 180 degrees different than they were six months ago. And so, yeah, I mean, it's good because, fortunately, like for example, World War Three is not popular. So if he's finger to the wind, hopefully he sticks to some of his uh, more. You know, I hate to say it, isolationist polling uh, numbers on World War Three. I haven't seen. I, I haven't <laughs> lately. I, you know, t- to be honest, I haven't checked that. it out. Yeah. Has there been a Harvard study that's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Break your use we, maybe we need a caller with a study on World War Three. <laughs> I don't know, but um, so, so so maybe there's some hope that that the popular will can deli- you know keep us from from some of the <laughs> some of the bad things. So are there implications for this? And this might be getting a little bit into kind of the more of the activist weeds, but are there implications for what we're observing here in terms of the 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 difference between what what's called access-based politics versus confrontational politics, where basically what we're seeing pan out here is if we we've seen different wings within the Republican Party successfully engage in access politics, in other words, getting access to Trump and steering him in the direction they want him to go and seeing a degree of success in implementing that approach. 
Is this something that libertarians should be looking at? Should we be looking at not so much finding people who are who really believe the things that we believe, but people who can be manipulated, for lack of a better term, to do what we want them to do? I don't think you, that's what we want to see as a movement as a candidate, but I think it's how we message, like like we kind of full circle here, talked about Kaepernick. It's, it's, it's how you message and communicate. And if you can hit that libertarian button to say, wow, that sounds great, and who, who would disagree with, with those kind of things? Like, I think like Ron Paul did, right? Like, right. hit these buttons, and a lot of people ate it up, myself included, yeah. right? I think like all of us, that those sound great, but we don't need a a highly automatic, you know, polished robot to deliver that message. It's mm-hmm. just getting the right message in front of the right people. Um, and, and I, we've talked, I think we'll talk about our podcast. I don't think Liberty is popular uh, when you get down to it, get down to the, the details of it. I think superficially it's very popular. So we just, I just need to hit those superficial buttons at first and, and get some of that. But as you get deeper into it, uh, speaking to, for example, though, foreign policy interventionism, there is an opportunity for you know popular um, uh, influence on that issue, and I just point to the Senate race, um, the pending Senate race in Missouri. Um, Austin Peterson, who you're probably familiar yep. with, the, the was it the Libertarian Mind? He he ran forever as as a Libertarian activist. Actually, ran as uh, for Libertarian candidate for president, yep. Yep. and is now actually mounting a, a highly credible campaign for the Republican. Senate nomination against Claire McCaskill in Missouri. And that's, um, I mean, that's the kind of person who in the Senate in particular would be, um, would be very influential in a beneficial way and also has the support of the Trump uh, coalition um, from what I can tell uh, so far in Missouri. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that Trump is necessarily leached to any particular position Whoever can help him out um, the most in, at any given time, I think, is going to be, you know, and, and you see that with Rand Paul. He just said he endorsed Rand Paul's health care bill, which is a great thing because, you know, he found out that other people couldn't help him with other things. And so, you know, if, if those are the people who can bend his ear, then hopefully it has a positive influence. Brendan Peterson and Carl Eggers from the podcast Haughty by Nature. You can find it on iTunes. We'll continue when we return. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. I want to get into this new tax plan that President Donald Trump announced today, uh, but we're going to take a call or two here before we get to that. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. In studio with us tonight, Carl Eggers, Brandon Peterson. They are from the Haughty by Nature podcast, which you can find on iTunes. Let's go to Corey in Bloomington. Welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going tonight, Walter? Fantastic, as always. What's on your mind? I was wondering if Donald Trump was to come to Minnesota to help with the Senate race here and the governor's race here, do you think that they would help out or do you think it would hurt? It's hard to say. I mean, you could make the case that it would help because the of the electoral shift which took place in terms of, you know, who turned out from where statewide in the last election. Um, that said, th- this has never been a particularly Trump friendly state. He came in third here in the, in the caucuses last year. And, uh, there was quite a bit of resistance that I know firsthand about because I was uh, one of the primary people organizing it and leading the way on it to him being the nominee here. So just in terms of where the Republican party is, I'm not sure if, 
if we would be even interested in that, if the candidates would even be interested in that, or, or if, if it would, could be beneficial. Because the thing about that is that you're opening a Pandora's box. You have no idea what he's going to say. You have no idea how people are going to respond. It's not a narrative you can control. And one thing that candidates who are running for office like to be able to do is control their narrative. So I'm not sure it would be the best idea in well, the world. Well, never Trump makes sense to me, but never Newberger. That doesn't quite have the same <laughs> same ring to it. I don't know if that would fly. <laughs> do you have something against Newberger? I, I think he would be the one to... To oh, Trump. Right. If Trump yeah, were to come, sure. yeah, he would be the one to to tag along. And I don't never knew Berger doesn't pull up the tongue there. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I I guess I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about whether or not uh Jim would be interested in in connecting himself to Trump. But I suppose, you know, you see with uh, who is it? Uh, Keith Downey is really trying hard to appropriate the Trump messaging and is branding. Oh, yeah. Like, even down to, like, his logo and his... I think the slogan for his campaign is something to the effect of make Minnesota work for everyone, which is mm-hmm. a thinly veiled again. take on... Okay. Yeah. <laughs> dot, 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 we're, again. We're great for everyone. Yeah, right. So, and and you on Twitter, he's become really combative, which, wow. if you've spent any amount of time in a conversation with Keith Downey, he's the furthest thing from Donald Trump in terms of persona and demeanor and decor... Furthest thing from personality in general. From personality, right, right yeah. yeah. From any personality whatsoever. So for him to try to emulate that, it's borderline comical. But, you know, obviously there are people who are who see the way the winds are blowing and they want to try to adopt that for their own ends. I don't know if, uh, if Newberger's one of those, but it would be interesting to see him try. Let's go to Kevin in Lakeville. Welcome to the program. Uh, hi, gentlemen. Um, pleasure to talk with you tonight. I just wanted to relay a little different perspective, especially on that race down in uh, Alabama. <clears throat> now, I don't think uh, the voters were voting against Trump's wishes down there. Strange was the attorney general of the state, and the governor was being investigated for some kind of you know, lewd activities or something like that. Having, I don't remember all what it was, but. So you think local politics beat out national politics in that situation? Yeah, they they dropped the investigation. Um, Strange was the attorney general. He dropped the investigation on the governor and was then appointed to be a senator. And the people of Alabama were, were rejecting Strange for that reason. Interesting. That, that's what I'd heard from a caller on another talk show earlier today. Gotcha. Well, and appreciate as you. As far as Kaepernick and standing up for the national anthem and things like that, I am a truck driver. I see it out here every day. I see that black people are discriminated against by law enforcement as far as being stopped, searched, things like that. But I think he picked the wrong thing to do. They forgot and didn't take the perspective that that flag that he was disrespecting was flying on the battlefield of the people that freed his ancestors. Appreciate your points, Kevin. That's what it comes down to. Whether you agree with that perspective or not, to, to reiterate the point that I was making last hour when we were talking about this, it's a question of how people receive something. You know, when you, when you touch a nerve, and, you know, I, I didn't address your criticism of the analogy, uh, Carl, that I used uh, on Monday regarding 
being disrespectful to your mother, being disrespectful to your father. It's not that government is our parent, right? But it's that there is rationally, there is a rational expectation that you respect your parents because of who they are and what they've provided for you and what they represent, regardless of whatever specific behaviors or specific complaints that you may have against them. In a similar sense, for different reasons, there is a rational expectation that you that you respect the United States of America and and what it is that it is tr- that the, the idea from which it was born, what, the notion of which is you have this freedom that we were talking about earlier to stand or not stand, and it's it's something that is not gr- to be taken for granted, not something that the vast majority of people, both on the globe today and historically, have had the ability to enjoy. So just based upon that fact alone, by disrespecting that in the perception of the public you're overshooting your your intention which is to raise awareness about a very specific issue let's go to uh this tax plan that it was announced today and I, th- I think the best place to look for it here is um in the the release uh that that came out of townhall.com from uh, kitty pavlich the bullet points are tax relief for middle class families the simplicity of postcard tax filing for the vast majority of americans Tax relief for businesses, especially small businesses. I've never understood what's special about small businesses. Like, is there a certain point past which if you've enjoyed enough success as a business, it's no longer moral? It it's, pulls well. Yeah, it I mean, let's just cut it back to that. I mean, do we really need to say more than that? It's good messaging. Mom and pop, Main Street versus Wall Street. Sure. Yeah. Right. Ending incentives to ship jobs, capital, and tax revenue overseas. There's your Bannon-esque uh, nationalism there. Broadening the tax base and providing greater fairness for all Americans. Now, all of this, of course, sounds great, right? Now, specifically, how are they going to do it? They're creating what they call a zero tax bracket, which, you know, when you look at the details of this thing, sounds awfully democratic to me. Under the framework, typical middle-class families will see less of their income subject to federal income taxes. The framework specifies the tax code and provides tax relief by roughly doubling the standard deduction to $24,000 for married couples filing jointly. To simplify the tax rules, the additional standard deduction and personal exemptions for the taxpayer and spouse are consolidated into this larger standard deduction. In combination, these changes simplify tax filing and effectively create a larger zero tax bracket. That's a fancy way of saying even more people are going to pay no taxes and even more of your income is not going to be subject to tax i talked to my friend who is a cpa uh he's pretty politically apathetic uh so i trust his judgment on this and he said uh let's see to simplify the tax rules the additional standard deduction and personal exemptions for the taxpayer and spouse are consolidated into just a one big larger standard deduction so there's fewer deductions which could hurt the middle class who rely on those deductions in the end. Um, so in 2016, he says a single person filing with no kids, personal plus standard exemption was 10350 And he said, so I ran the numbers. Essentially, if you make over $20,000 a year just taking single filers, you actually pay more in taxes right. than you did before because you may not have as many deductions. Um, and so it's pretty tax neutral, but like if you relied on deductions, especially for like medical bills, like stuff that you can't really control for and like not every person might have, uh, you could kind of get the short end of the stick there. Um, and then it's really advantageous to small business owners because he said that uh, 
they're going to limit earnings from companies to 25% before you could be taxed at whatever your highest rate was. But now you get capped, uh, which in my entire time of working, I have seen maybe a few individuals who make over $150,000 who are not involved in a business. So pretty much if you make over $150,000, your tax rate is only 25%. We'll continue breaking this down and get our takes from Carl Eggers and Brandon Peterson when we return. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. 24. Hugh Hefner's dead, apparently. That just broke. It's uh, an end of an era? I, I don't know. I, I, have a feel, I have a sense that that era kind of petered out a long time ago. Yeah, Peter, maybe it's over. Phrasing. Yeah, nice use of the word Peter. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that we're going to see a significant change in the culture as a result of uh, this passing, but it's certainly noteworthy. The Who guy wants did. to put money that Trump tweets about it? It's, I, I guarantee it's, I'm, we need to do a search. It's he's typing right, right now. now. <laughs> he's typing right now. It's only a matter of time before the Trump tweet regarding Hefner. He'll probably just bash him because his wife was never in it or something. <laughs> something along those lines. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 1035 FM, 651 989 5855, the number to join us this evening in studio with us tonight. We have Carl Eggers and Brandon Peterson. They have a podcast called Haughty by Nature which you can check out on iTunes, and I recommend that you do. So we we got into just a little bit of the details of this tax plan. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That Trump announced today. And I'm kind of curious to to hear your guys' take, uh, not on the specifics of the plan, because I'm, I'm sure you probably haven't had the opportunity to examine it. But this this notion that's it at least occurs to me of we're, we're always for taxes being cut, right? Like reductions in taxation. Taxation is theft. You know, the, the famous libertarian motto at this point in, in social media meme. But it, are tax cuts onto themselves the single most important thing that we ought to be focusing on in, in terms of, and I'll just limit it, not even to the, the, the all of public policy, but just to fiscal policy. Is it really the taxation that's the issue? Well, no. <laughs> how's that for an answer i agree but what what are your thoughts on what is the problem and the, the extent of it well it's the spending stupid yeah. um yeah i mean we we have we are now still spending you know what a trillion plus yeah every year um or every budget cycle or whatever it is um more than we're taking in in revenue so you can you know as we know um borrowing is just taxation of future generations so right. we're we're just continue we're kicking the can down the road to use the cliched term with tax cuts and we're you know this tax plan you know i candidly politically irrelevant uh, you know maybe even a political liability just speaking purely in a political sense uh rearranging the deck chairs a little bit uh, you know it's 
it, I'm just not interested. I'm already bored. I don't even want to talk about it. That, I'm done. That's that's exactly where I'm at. The only reason I ever talk about tax reform and this notion that the Republicans are pushing about how, how excited they are about cutting taxes is because it's it's happening in a vacuum absent the actual concern, which is the spending. Right. And, and it has to be both. Right. Uh, I mean, we were talking about immigration. It has You have to have some reduction of the welfare state if you want to talk about immigration. But the same thing like why is it so complicated too why do we it's like the american health care act from from paul ryan why do we have to make this weird thing that you have to have a powerpoint slide to hopefully try to present what i'm messaging to you that i want the tax cuts are there because i want to get, put more money in your pocket i i don't want to have you file less forms to the irs or smaller forms in a postcard size cirs i just want you to have more money in your pocket that's the goal right you would hope but that doesn't seem to be the goal of this plan. It's it's rearranging the deck chairs as well. If you look at it from this angle, you kind of might save some money, maybe, hopefully. And we can say we did something, Paul Ryan. But did we really? No, we don't care. We don't care about actually cutting your taxes and actually putting money in average Joe's pocket. From the Star Tribune, in the absence of details on the plan's cost, one back-of-the-envelope estimate by a Washington budget watchdog estimated the tax cuts at perhaps... $5.8 trillion over the next 10 years. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget Analysis said Republicans had only identified about $3.6 trillion in offsetting revenues, meaning the cost to the federal deficit could be in the $2.2 trillion range. Now, that's just the deficit. So that we're talking about year over year over year over year. I mean, my God. But that's assuming that the plan goes in well, action yeah. for the next five years, which it never does, sure. right? Right, but it never has changed in between now and then. But yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's a terrible plan, yeah. right? I mean, like if if you're already at a point like we hope to run a two trillion dollar deficit this year with this plan, then then you're you're already dead. Well, and politically, who who's clamoring at the bit to get this Paul to see Ryan, this tax cut? Yeah, I Mitch mean, McConnell. I, yeah, I mean, it's those people, right? That are that want to say they did something, right? It's certainly not that that Trump base, that Steve Bannon esque base that we were talking about, that just uh, pushed more over the edge in Alabama, right? Like they don't care about. No, this. I mean nobody cares. I mean, let's just be honest. It's going to do absolutely nothing for them. And again, I would say plays into actually a negative narrative that's inevitably going to be used against them in the elections. Uh, in fact, Bannon is and uh, has been widely reported as advocating a higher tax rate for um, yeah, right. people who make you know five million plus per year. Um, so, you know, they've abandoned a lot of the populist uh, issues, even, you know, the foreign policy intervention. Uh, and, and I'll just come right out now and say it. I, I voted for Donald Trump um, mm. almost exclusively, <laughs> almost, ex almost, Carl ex clammed up. almost exclusively because he he actually was saying things that we haven't heard in a long time from a Republican president, especially when it came to foreign policy, you know, that. We were going to pull back and not become policemen of the world, I and mean, we've heard that time and time again. And right. and to me, that's one of the big. It's one of the basic expenditures. It's sure. one of the biggest things that affects our lives. And I said, you know what? If I can get that, which we've never gotten from any administration since Ever. what Grover <laughs> Cleveland, I don't know. Um, I'll take it. Sure. And um, he's failed on that too. So so he's failing in all these areas. Tax this quote unquote small business tax cuts, saving job. You know. Tax cuts for job creators. I mean, I'm so bored. Yeah, everybody's bored. Nobody cares right. except for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Right. And and frankly, 
who cares about them either right. unless you're in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, I mean, politically, it just it strikes me as affirming the worst caricatures of what Republicans are about. Right. Exactly. You know, because you're you're basically this is them doing the bidding of their donors, the Wall Street donors and the big corporate donors who want the tax cut. It doesn't actually affect any things that Republicans typically talk about on the campaign trail in terms of, you know, reducing the deficit, reducing the debt, putting us on a on a a saner path to to fiscal stability. Not to mention the moral argument which you evoked, Brandon, of what are we doing to our kids and our grandkids? You know, sending them our credit card bill for the quality of life that we want to enjoy. Right. Uh, have fun paying for it. So we it. could have an extra eighty two dollars and thirty four cents every six months from the whatever tax cut this is supposedly I don't even know. <laughs> we got a call from Bill in Maple Grove wants to bring us back to uh, the flag concern. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, thank you. Yep. Yeah, Walter, I appreciate your discussion about showing respect for the country and so forth, the parent what, the reference. Um, but it seems to me that taxes are in a similar uh, field, that paying your taxes is part of showing respect. If you respect it, you support it. But don't continually gripe about it. Yeah, I'm not following your reasoning. Can you expound well, a little bit? If you respect the government and what it stands for, then you support it with your money. So if you. if so, why stop at the given tax rate then? Should we be sending contributions above and beyond the current tax rate? Should we set the tax rate to fifty percent, seventy percent, eighty percent to show even more pay respect your for? Pay your dues. Don't always gripe about it. Don't always try to go on the cheap. Admit that it's your responsibility and just pay up. So the, what, what I'm interested what in, I'm interested in exploring this because you're, I'm not hearing any sort of parameter which would determine what taxes ought to be, like how many, how much taxes you should pay and what those tax dollars should be spent on. It's what Congress determines. So just anything, literally anything. It's what you owe. That's how you show respect. You don't constantly gripe about it and hedge about it. It's just like a kid going to your parent asks you to go mow the lawn, and you're constantly griping about, oh, it's so hard, and oh, the gas isn't what full, and who knows what. It's uphill this way, and it's downhill that way. Just pay your dues. All right. I appreciate it, Bill. I tried to mold that into some sort of conversation, but I feel as though I failed. Yeah, there's no there there. I'm sorry. (laughs) Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. In studio, Carl Eggers, Brendan Peterson, Haughty by Nature. What's the website again, guys? Haughtypodcast.com. You can find us at Haughty by Nature on Facebook and Twitter and iTunes, and we're out there. All all around you. Check it out. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Sean Hannity. So I got a few off-the-cuff questions for one of our in-studio guests here, Brandon Peterson, who is formerly a state senator here uh, in Minnesota and uh, in that sense has gone where few have gone before in terms of campaigning and uh, securing victory and holding office. And I definitely want to spend some time picking your brain here in our final segment of the evening. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. So... was it was it worth it? Let's start with that. Was it worth it? All the effort and the time and the the uh, pain that you had to go through in order to to serve. And would you contemplate doing something like that again? 
Yeah. Yes. I mean, the first part of the question, yes, sure. I would um, say that it was worth it, whatever, however you quantify that. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a, it was everything. The experience was everything. It was the good, bad, and the ugly. Um, but I'm somebody who says, you know, you kind of are what you've lived and, and experienced. And certainly I am that. And, and there were so many things that I picked up along the way in life experiences. And, and let's face it. I mean, it is uh, the amount of humanity that you're exposed to, you know, ver- opinions and, and for wonks like us, you know, for the three of us at the table, you know, there, there is an element of just the job, just the literal like lawmaking element of it, where you get to kind of dig into things. I mean, you get to go to work and just talk about ideas all day. I mean, that's what you do. I mean, so that part was great. And, um, there were other parts that were really frustrating, like the fact that a lot of things don't get done for the right reasons, mm-hmm. really for the, for the sake of, of getting more power or reelection or, you know, what have you. But overall, it wasn't. Not, no, no. I mean, the second part of the question is no. I have no plans to to do it again. I mean, I'm 31. I wouldn't. I, I, I think it would be uh, ridiculous to say. I guarantee you, for the rest of my life, I'm sure, going to do right, that. Yeah. But I don't have any plans to. And right now, I'm I'm really enjoying life um, more than I have really ever as an adult. And I'm my wife, Jessica, my three kids. I mean, we're just having a, a great time right now. And I and I I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, and that that is the interesting aspect of your story, and I and I don't know all the details of what brought you to your your campaign in the first place to become a state senator, uh, but I I have to imagine that somewhere along the line there there was perhaps a a value judgment in terms of you know am I sacrificing too much on the personal side in order to to continue down this course because there's not a lot of people who you know you were young as a state senator. Uh, historically, even in, in terms of the the average, there's not a lot of people who pursue that path at that age. Are are there reasons for that? Are there ex- disadvantages to trying to do something that young? There's a lot of disadvantages. I mean, a just at life experience in general. Um, you know, I I certainly had a lot of um, uh, of living to do and and things to figure out for myself. And I won't get into all those things here on the radio, but. Um, so, so some of those things I had to confront and, and, and frankly, were one of the reasons I left in the first place. But, um, other than that, yeah, I mean, there's a whole bunch, like, for example, um, most people get into electoral politics at the twilight of their professional career. You know, you look at the median age, 55, 60, these people have created a nest egg, established some financial security and are looking sort of as this is their passion project at the end of their life, if you will. Um, whereas I was in the prime income, income earning years where you're trying to carve your, your place out in the world. And so for young candidates, you know, it's either, you know, you continue to escalate that political ladder in order to make a living. Right. Which isn't the right motivation, right? I mean, right. You, you'd lo- you're there in, in my Pollyannish view of, of the public policy realm. You're there because you have principles and because you value things and you think that what you believe is quite literally good for humanity and mm-hmm. good for the community in which you live. So, so looking at it as a, as what's the next rung on the career ladder is not a healthy way to look at it. And that's one of the things young people have to consider unless they have some, you know, they're they're they have a trust fund or family money or things like that. So, so there are certainly some challenges to, to, to doing it at a younger age. Yeah. And I, I guess that's really what I was kind of trying to drive at is the, the, the unfortunate reality that. The, you have to have certain ducks in a row to even be able to contemplate 
doing something like running for office, even at the level of just the state legislature, because it does require some degree of sacrifice, you know, and, and being privy to uh, both having been involved with with campaigns and and also being kind of tangentially privy to the the machinations within campaigns is one of the things that candidates have to consider. How am I going to survive during this? Like, how am I going to mm-hmm. get money in yeah. order to live during this? And it's not something that you can just in the in the framers idea of the farmer just leaves his farm for a little bit and goes and serves and then goes back. It's not that simple anymore. And maybe it should be. Well, and that's one of the problems, right, with with uh, the way we run our government. I mean, it was never supposed to be something you had to make that choice you know with it was something where we were going to be you know citizen civilian legislators and we were going to be able to do this on the side and still go to farm or or work in a trade or or as a professional and government outgrew that you know the needs of the state outgrew that and so you have now people who are wholly dedicated to state servitude because it's a seen as is a necessary and that you know as necessary evil if you will or some people think is necessary benefit um and that's where we're at now and um you know uh, i would say also you know uh, looking back it may not be fair to for the next 24 year old but i'll look at them with a healthy degree of skepticism um i think there's a lot there that you don't realize you're walking into and it requires a great degree of of humility and also um, just the character, you know, you, most jobs, almost every job in the world, you're accountable it, and you don't have, you know, people will tell you what time it is and, and, and your boss will tell you what you need to do. The legislature, there is very little of that. And so it requires somebody who has a great degree of self-discipline and also humility to understand the things they don't know. Um, so um, I know we're running short on time, but I mean, that's uh, that's some of the things that I observed and and um, would have some tough questions for a young man or lady who came to my door and wanted to do it. And I would tell them, you know, and I'd be very real with them, too. Um, it's, a, it's a challenge on a lot of levels. Well, I only wish that uh, all of our uh, elected officials and candidates approached the issue with uh, that level of humility. Carl Eggers, Brandon Peterson, Haughty by Nature, HaughtyPodcast.com. Check it out. Appreciate you guys coming in tonight and spending your time with me. Anytime, you guys are welcome. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. We are here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. Vikings football tomorrow night. So uh, we will see you on Friday, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. This is the Twin Cities News Talk Station, KTLK AM, Minneapolis. Playboy's founder has died. I'm Rich Dennison, Fox News. Hugh Hefner has passed away of natural causes at the age of 91. Hef worked in the subscription. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.